Welcome to the LifeGate Podcast. Our vision is changing lives in a changing culture with the unchanging truth. Our prayer is that these weekly messages will inspire you to life change through the principles found in God's Word. Let's join in for this week's message. Family, family, family. You guys came back, right? You came back because you're family, aren't you? Like, you're like the dad and mom over here, Pastor Chad Amber. They're like, y'all better be here because I'm going to give y'all. No, he wouldn't do that. Uh, family, we're excited to be here today. You came back for week number two. I got one more week to go. Hopefully you come back next week. It's going to be another good week as well. I'm excited because my family's here today. My wife and daughter are here. They were in Arkansas last week, or some people call it Arkansas, right? But they were there. I want them to stand right now. This is my beautiful wife and my lovely daughter, Mallory. This is Janelle Mallory and my son's over in Kids Church. You saw him last week and we are excited to be here today. My family doesn't always get to travel with me, so it's always fun for them to be here and for my wife to help me brush up on my communication skills, right? How many of you know, men, you got your wife there to help you do that? She's like, my wife, she's like, Kai, you shouldn't have said it like that, or you should have done this, and you should have been so loud. I'm like, babe, don't you know that I'm loud? Been married to you 19 years. I'm just loud. She's like, yeah, no, but you should pull it down a little bit. I'm like, I can't. I can't. I can't. I'm like a caged lion, right? Uh, and so, so I'm just excited to be here today and my family here as well. And so you'll get to be a part of that. I also want to say I'm excited today to be here for these three weeks. I want to just, before they leave to go out of town on vacation, Pastor Chad, Pastor Amber, not going to be here next week. And I just wanted, while I'm here and they're here, to say thank you for all that you've done for us and to help us. We, we just this year in September 2018 celebrated. 10 years of being in Youth Alive. My wife and I spent our first 10 years of marriage doing youth ministry as youth pastor in local church. And now the last 10, we've been doing this thing called Youth Alive. And your church, LifeGate, was a family to us. We we started out in 2008, and you were one of the first churches that hopped on board and said, we're going to support you monthly. We're going to give, and we're going to pray, and we're going to be a part of this family process. One of the first times I ever preached here, my daughter who over there was three years old back then, and now she's 13. I mean, it's like crazy, right? And so I added up one day all the contributions your, your church has given to us, and I was just blown away. I was like, man, I was driving down the road in my little Toyota 4Runner, and I was just crying. I was like, there's no way, there's no way this church believes in us that much to be able to give to us and sow into us. And Pastor Chad and Amber, thank you, thank you, thank you for giving to us. And here's what's cool. In the last eight years of us been doing seven projects, these school assembly projects that we do outside the church, we've seen almost 6,000 students saved on the public school campus. 6,000 students. And it's really, really remarkable because you've had a part in that. You know what's also remarkable? That every time I come back to this church, you're in another building project, and you are building and growing, and Pastor Chad still has his hair, and it's unbelievable that through all of those building projects, you guys have been faithful, and God has blessed LifeGate, and he's blessing Burleson, and you guys keep growing, we keep growing, and that's the beauty of a partnership between missionaries and the church. When you invite missionaries in, whether they're going to Russia, or China, or Africa, or India, it doesn't matter, right? Even right here in the United States, when you as a church pray and partner with missionaries, both of us grow, and both of us extend the kingdom all across the face of the earth. So don't stop giving, don't stop going, and don't stop praying for missionaries, because we don't we don't stop praying for you as well. And I just want to say, it's just part of this little front part of family, that I just want to say thank you for praying for us and giving to us. And Pastor Shad, thanks for this opportunity. Amen. 
Amen? 2 Samuel chapter 7, we're going to jump right in. I want to lay a quick foundation of where we're going today. I said earlier in the first service, it's kind of more of like a workshop teaching today, instead of me all up yelling and screaming and hollering, but, but, but it's really necessary and it's good. So 2 Samuel chapter 7, I want to start with verse 1. This is what it says. Now when the king lived in his house, and the Lord had given him rest from his surrounding enemies, King David said to Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. And Nathan said to the king, Go and do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. That same night where the Lord came to Nathan and said to David, Go tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, Will you build me a house to dwell in? For I have not lived in a house since the day I brought the people up out of Egypt. And he goes on. And then David declared further down in verse 11. He says that I will make you a house. And this is the covenant that began to establish in verse 13. That this is God's response. After David said, I will build you a house, God said. Then I shall build a house for my namesake. And I will establish your throne and the kingdom forever and ever. This is what happened. God had a couple of characters he was messing with. King David and the prophet Nathan. And through all of the ups and downs of the kingdom and all of Israel, David had fought so many battles and had come to a place of rest from all his enemies. God then decided to look down on David and say, David, it's time to build me a house. He declared to David through a covenant, not a little snappy chat, not a little Facebook post, but no, it was through a covenant that if you will build my house, David, I will build your house. I will take care of you and your grandkids and your great, great grandkids. I will take care of all of Israel and I will establish you. I will establish you if you put me number one priority in your life and kingdom. David did it. He made that covenant with God. And I think sometimes we come to church, don't we? We make kind of those covenants too, don't we? Like we come to God and say, God, I'm going to be a better husband. God, I'm going to be a better wife. Uh, I'm going to be a better, come on students over here. I'm going to be a better daughter. I'm going to treat my parents better. I'm going to go to school. And we make these kind of inside covenants with God that God, if I do this, then I know you'll do this. And this is coming into agreement with God for a better life, a better future. And sometimes when we make those covenants, those promises of God, we really don't see the long-term benefit of it, do we? we in an instant society where we want instant answers, and sometimes those covenants go so far and long-lasting that they fall down into our kids and our grandkids and our great-grandkids. This is a powerful story because I just did a little research to find that when David made that covenant, God literally did what he said he was going to do. Well, David died, as we all will too. But the covenant of God doesn't die. It continues. There was a story in 1 Kings chapter 15 about this dude. His name was Abijam. I mean, it's just a crazy name, isn't it? That King Abijam, the Bible declared and defined him as one of the craziest kings and that his heart wasn't even with God. But God was trying to do something through his people, through his family, through the tribe of Israel. And this is what it says in 1 Kings chapter 15, that Abijam was blessed for David's sake, even though he wasn't even committed to God. You know how many years after that was when David was dead? 86 years after David had died, God was still blessing his family and the tribe of Israel because of a decision David made in an altar at a Sunday school class on a Sunday morning and said, I'm going to to declare, I'm going to build God's house. 86 years later, God was still blessing his house. It's not 
Good enough for you? How about in 2 Kings chapter 8, there was another king that was even worse than Abijam. His name was Jehoram. I could get that wrong. He was the king of Judah, and the Bible declared him as one of the most evil kings that had ever lived. But God still blessed David and his household and the commitment he made. And listen to this, 156 years after David had died, God was still blessing his family, his kids, his grandkids, his great, 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 great grandkids along the way. Why? Because David made a covenant with the house of God and said, I will build your house. And 156 years later, God was still building his house through Abijam and through Jehoram and through all of his people. That's not good enough for you, is it either? Go a little bit further in the Kings, we find this king named Hezekiah. Hezekiah wakes up and he finds himself surrounded, his little tribe, his little army of 185 Assyrian soldiers. They are about to see the end. Hezekiah stands up and says, God, I need you to come through. I need you to help us win this battle. The Bible says that the next morning they woke up, Hezekiah and his men and all the troops around them had died in the night. Hezekiah woke up to victory. And this is what the Bible says. You go read it. It says, Hezekiah won the battle and God blessed Israel because of David's sake, because of David's covenant to build the house of God. 156 years, 86 years. Now, after David was dead, this battle that was wrought on the fields that night was simply 313 years later after David was dead. And what you and I decide to do today matters throughout all the generations. I am a result of a great-grandmother, a great-grandmother who is a Pentecostal, tongue-talking, believing, radical, young, I'm a small little lady, small little grandma, but she had fire and grit and could kick all of our butts. And she decided that she was going to way back, go to a Pentecostal service in a tent revival and declare that her family would be built on the house of God. All of them, no, there's been some stray. There's been some walkaways, but I'm a result of a great, great grandmother who decided like David to build the house of God. That decision she made is going to continue 80, 90, hundreds of years later through my family and my kids and my grandkids and my great, great grandkids. Why? Because I'm deciding to live not on Oprah's views, Obama's views, or Trump's tweets. I am deciding to build my family on the word of God that is eternal, that does not go away, that has been around for thousands of years and just didn't pop up on the internet on a cool site overnight. No, no, no. This is biblical and it's right. And if you and I are going to have family, then we're going to have to decide to build God's house. And how do we build God's house? We build it through one another. We build it through relationships. We build it by pouring into and spending time with each other, husband to wife, and wife to husband, and grandma to grandkids, and grandpa to aunts and uncles. We build it through time with each other. In fact, Jesus got this model really, really right. Jesus went out, and when he wanted to build someone up in the kingdom of God, he knew he did it not through buildings and not through uh, uh, all kinds of things that our world promotes, but he, he built the kingdom of God through individuals and people. So he would go out and he would look. He would see Peter. He would see John. He would see Matthew at the tax collector's booth. He would be walking around, and he'd see Nathaniel under tree. Go read through Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John. And anytime Jesus wanted to extend the kingdom, he did it through what? People, by building God's house. 
Now watch this, side note, when there was a miracle that needed to be found, those people always came to Jesus. Jesus would be walking through, and someone would come and say, my daughter needs to be healed. Jesus would be walking through, and someone would cry out, I need healing in my blinded eyes. When there was a miracle, Jesus didn't go out and say, I think you got cancer. I think you got a gimpy leg. I think you've got blinded eyes. Let me heal you. No, 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 no. The miracles came to him. But when Jesus wanted to raise up a leader, he went and found them. This is powerful. That's what Jesus did. He went out and he walked and he saw and he saw beyond the surface into the core and the lives of what they were currently, but what they could be. Because Jesus always looks into your future and your future is the kingdom of God. So he would go and he'd find people like this little girl over here. What's your name, young lady? I think your name's Mallory. Why don't you come over? And this is what Jesus would do. He would call out people. He would call out people and their names. And they didn't even know it. So he called. This is my awesome daughter. Now she's 13 years old. Can you believe that? This is my daughter. She's 13. And Jesus would call them out. And he then would take the time to see, invest in love. There's something about being called out, isn't there? Oh, my daughter right now doesn't like being on all the stage and all your eyeballs looking at her and all the smoke and the lights. And you're going to hear about it on the card. Dad, you should never make me come to front. But deep inside, there's something about being called out. That's what Jesus did. He called out the rejects. He called out the people that were not a part of the Jewish culture. And he called them out and said, come follow me. And he started the circular process of discipleship in raising up the kingdom of God. He then, Jesus, would assume his position. Watch this. I'm going to give you some physical positions here. He then, after he called them out, would come and stand in front of them. He would take his position out front. All of us need someone out front, don't we? And Jesus would stand out front of the disciples to be the example. Example to what? See how to heal blinded eyes. See how to walk on water, to see how to take a miracle out of two fish and five loaves, to see what, how to honor God and pray and study and worship. Jesus would be the example of how to treat people and love people and heal people and all this stuff out front. And we all need somebody in front of us that we can see. And often so closely to us, it's called a mom or a dad. We are, we are the people out front that they follow. And often they don't repeat what you say, they repeat what you, and we're out front. And how powerful it is that we, Jesus Jesus was the one out front to show. But Jesus knew he couldn't stay there, he had to get next to, he had to stand beside these disciples and spend time with them, didn't he? He would spend time with them and answer questions and ask questions. He would spend time with them eating and fishing and going on trips together and doing ministry together right here side by side. It's one thing to be out front and say, hey, look at me, how awesome I am. I got 15 million followers on Twitter and I'm really, really cool in my skinny jeans and nice hair. But it's a whole nother thing to get next to and spend time to dive into the hard stuff. But then Jesus knew he couldn't stay there. Couldn't just stay up front, couldn't just be next to. He knew that he wouldn't be around forever. And neither will us as parents. I've got five more years of this girl in my house. My son who is 10, I got eight years until he's gone out of my house. And this is my own opinion. I told you I'm not an expert. And this is me and the way my wife parent. Listen, parenting for us is temporary. It's not going to last forever. We're going to be friends with them. We're going to love them. We'll always be there for them. But they're going to go out and bust their own trail and do the things that hopefully we taught them and trained them to do. And so Jesus knew that he was about to go away at 33 and a half years. So he had to take his little 12 foot, not 12 foot, 12 inch Under Armour shoe and put it on Peter's backside and say, Go. Did you see her face when I did it? 
It's the same reaction Peter had because was Peter, was Peter ready? No, he wasn't ready. Was Matthew ready? No, but were you ready to graduate high school? Start driving? Go to college? Start your career? Oh, let's go even deeper. Were you really ready to get married? No, it's, it's the one thing in life that we don't get an owner's manual on, do we? Were you really ready to have kids? Oh, me and my wife, we said this. We're going to get married. And we're going to wait four or five years to have kids when we're... But we still weren't ready. And so too, the disciples, they were not ready. But Jesus knew that really, really life happens in the intersections between education and experience. And education and experience collide together in the classroom of going, of going, of going. So many of you went to college and got your degrees and master's degrees and doctor degrees. And you learned so much in book studies. And then you get out to the real world and you start going and you realize you didn't learn half that stuff that you did in the classroom. Why? Because education and experience collide together in going, going, and going. And Jesus did this with the disciples. He sent them out. And we find in Mark 6 and Luke 10 and so many passages of scriptures that what? The disciples went out and they did exactly what Jesus did. They did it. They came back and were like, Jesus, you got to check this out. We prayed for this dude with blinded eyes and they were healed. Just like you. We went and cast demons out of a man. Just like you. Jesus is like, yeah, yeah, I saw it. And as you were doing it, I saw Satan's power falling like lightning from heaven. I told you, this is what Jesus said in Luke 10. I told you I gave you power over snakes and scorpions and all kinds of, oh, I, I told you that you could do anything. And this is the power of discipleship, of coming around the people that are in our family and our homes. And we're just getting around them all to the point where we can say, go. Go do what I showed you and go do what I spent time with you. And I just want to give you four quick words and walk through them real quick, not just from Jesus's perspective, but from a parenting perspective. When we call out, when we call them out of the crowd, what are we doing? We're talking to their talents. Your kids need to hear you speak positive over their life, not just negative. Your kids need to hear you say stuff like this. And I guarantee I'm going to cry on this. And I know i got air in my arms. I'm a grown man and I shouldn't cry. But my daughter needs to hear me say that you are a compassionate leader. My daughter needs to hear me say stuff like, you've got the same personality as me, a challenger. We did. We took personality tests in our family. And her and I got the same personality. That my, my daughter needs to hear me say, Mal, I'm proud of you for standing up for the truth and not being afraid to speak the truth. Mal, I'm proud of you for being a leader and so disciplined and hardworking and there is nothing that you can't do or say that you can do the impossible. Your kids need to hear you say the same things. I say this not just, oh, because I'm up here preaching in front of you. I've said these things to my daughter over and over and over throughout her life. Why? Because I'm calling the talent out of her. Building her identity. Begin to call that talent out of her. Then what do I got to do? I got to stay in front of her and train her. That next T word. I've got to train. I've got to train. Her and her, my, my, my wife and I, we got to stand up front and train. My wife can cook. She can cook. She can bake. She can sew. She can do anything she wants. I mean, one time she made fortune cookies. Who makes fortune cookies? I came home and she was like, you want to try these fortune cookies I made? I'm like, what? unbelievable, but my wife's got to get in front of her and model to her that nothing's impossible. And she's done that. My daughter's living it out 13 years later that she can do anything in this world. And we got to stand up in front and be the example. And yet our kids out front need to see us cry. 
They need to see us repent. I told you last week, I, I had a bad anger outburst about five years ago, and my kids saw it. I've been so good with my anger, but I had one slip, and I had to set my kids down on the stairs of my house, and I was weeping my eyes out in repentance. They saw me make a mistake, but yet they still need to meet me what? See me repent. They need to see me worship and dance and go crazy and laugh and smile. And out front, I, I need to be here out front. You, you've got to be here out front. They've got to see you. You work in 60 hours a day, they don't see you. They need to see you. And then it moves, it moves, it moves to this next phase right here where you, what, spend time. So you call it the talent, you train, you train, you train, and then you spend time right here. This is the hardest part. This is the hardest part. It's easier to stay at work, isn't it? It's easier to just watch TV. I hear all these families say, oh, we're going to stay home and we're going to have family time. What do they do? They just watch TV all the time and everybody's on their phone. So we're going to go out to eat as a family. And you watch them in the booths and they're all just, I call them phone zombies, man. How many times can you scroll through Instagram? Like put the phone up and talk to each other. Spend time. Ask hard questions. You, you got to spend time. You got to spend time next to each other. Time training and teaching and talking and going through all this kind of stuff together. Spend putting the word of God inside their hearts and lives. And this is what we did. We started this. My wife and I, when my kids are in kindergarten, so I'm going to put my daughter on the spot right here because we spent time not just learning how to kick the soccer ball or run a mile. She would say that's how I run. But she can beat me in long distance, but not short. I can still beat you in short. But we spent time doing all those things, but we didn't forsake the word of God. So Mallory, I want you to give them what is the gospel. G God creates. Oh, you take the mic. G God creates with him. O our sins are from God. S sins cannot be removed by good deeds. P paying the price for our sins. G died and rose again. E everyone who believes in Christ alone shall have eternal life. And L life. G starts now and lasts forever. Every morning, every morning when my kids get out of the car, they're telling me the gospel. Mallory, tell us the 16 things that we believe as a family. And Sam's slow and, because she wants to speed through them. But tell them, tell them. Scripture inspired, one true God, due to Lord Jesus, fall of men, salvation, men, the ordinances, baptism in water, communion, baptism in the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues, sanctification, church's ministry, church's mission, divine healing, blessed hope, that reign, final judgment, new heavens and new earths. Now... Now, now tell them, because I'm doing good on time, tell them what the Romans road is, the way and pathway to salvation. You want to do that one? Okay, what about the armor? Tell us the armor. Helmet of salvation, sword of spirit, shield of faith, breastplate of righteousness, belt of truth, and gospel shoes. Very good. Give us John 10.10. 10. A thief comes to only still kill and destroy, but I have come to see him have life in the fullest way possible. John 3.16. For God's love of the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Come on, you see what I'm talking about? She could get out there and run a mile, and she did it yesterday at 3 o'clock in the hot sun and ran a 6'10 mile, and she got fourth place in all of North Dallas. She can do that, but you know what she also can do? Tell you how to love people and honor God and come to church and not miss church and understand Scripture and walk you through the Bible and what the books are and all the stuff. Why? Because mom and dad have been out front training her as this is a priority for us, but we also took time to spend with her each day and every day, read the Bible every day together, no, let's not lie. But multiple and multiple times a week, spending time, and then watch this. You got to move to this last part. You got to move this last part. Oh, no, no, let me, let me, let me stay. We got to spend time. 
You know, with this girl right here, we've had to talk about so many tough things. We had to talk to my daughter in the first grade about what being hetero and homosexual is all about. I didn't like that. Maybe you do. I don't. I had to talk about the tough things about my daughter and the things that are happening on cell phones. Let's talk for a second about cell phones. Uh, there's some statistics I want to throw your way. Do uh, you know that 88% of 13 to 17-year-olds have a phone? My kids didn't get phones until they were in the sixth grade. My daughter just got hers a year from the day. Like, we celebrated the anniversary last Thursday. Woo! First year with a phone! My son still got two years with the phone. That's my rule. Sixth grade, you're going to make it through sixth grade, and then we get you the phone. This is what they say, that 24% of those students admit that they are constantly on the phone. 71% of those students are on one or more social media sites, and I don't know if you know this or not. I mean, statistically, it's out there. Those social media sites are not just for poking each other and posting on each other's page. So many of these sites are full and full and full of pornography that your and my kids are getting into. Social media. These phones are a problem, and we, with our kids, we have this thing called Teen Safe and Secure Teen, that right now my, my wife can get on my daughter's phone at any time, any moment, see where she's at, see what she's on, and see what she's looking at, and it gives us a history of everything. And if you're not doing that with your kiddos, then you, you are setting yourselves up for failure. Because I'm telling you right now, I'm in Azel, Texas a few years ago, and a mom comes up to me with tears in her eyes and said her third grader, her third grader is addicted to pornography, and nothing breaks my heart more than about a seven-year-old who is looking at things on his phone that he should not be looking at. Let's talk for a second about that time, right? That time with friends. If you and I are on the same page, you better inspect and look into and research who they're hanging out with. We just don't let our daughter have sleepovers at anybody in everybody's house. We look and see if they have older brothers, younger brothers, sisters, if an uncle's going to be there, if an aunt's going to be there. Oftentimes, those silly things that happen that happens to kids, they happen in often the safest of places, at cousins' houses. So we just don't let our kids stay at everyone's house. Do we say, no sleepovers? No, we don't go that far. But we do research, and we trust our gut and the Holy Spirit when it's right and when it's not right. And we've had to tell our daughter, no, that you can't go over there to that party. You can't go over there to that sleepover. And she wasn't happy with us at the time, but that's okay. She doesn't have to be happy with me all the time because I'm not her best friend. I'm her dad. There are going to be moments in her life in the next five years that she's not going to really like daddy so much. But in 10 years, she'll learn to appreciate me because why? I stood in front of her with her mother and we trained. We stood time and we got next to her and we were right here. Let's talk for a second about this thing called sex, right? And I'm, I'm almost done and I'm doing good on time. Let's talk this thing about sex, right? It's huge. 43% of teens have confessed that they've had sex. It's 13 to 18 year olds. 28% that they admit that they're sexting, you know, sending pictures of yourself to people. Out of those, they say 25% pass it on to someone else. And then guess what? They pass it on to someone else and someone else and someone else. And we just had this talk yesterday in my car with my son and my daughter. And I said, listen, baby girl, if anybody ever sends you a picture, you better tell me right away because we're going to come and we're... See, it's not, just, it's not just with mom and dad, though, Mallory. It's with the principals at your school. 
This is a police activity. This is something that is huge. If you ever receive one or send one, this is recorded in the history books of the internet, and it never, ever goes away. It will prevent you from going to some colleges and workplaces. You, you never know what's out there. And we've got to have a handle with our students and our kids on set. We've got to spend time talking about the rough issues. Listen to me. When we were uh, like a year, year and a half ago, we set Mallory down and had a purity ceremony in our living room. We gave her a ring. It's right here. You you got the ring on? You better not have lost that ring. <laughs> we got our purity ring, and we sat down in the living room, and we walked through Scripture, and we talked to her, and we laid it all out. And I, right there, have talked to literally thousands and thousands of students about sex and purity and the do's and the don'ts and all that stuff, and I never have a problem with it. I actually have a lot of fun with it. But when I came down to talk to my daughter about it, me and my wife on our couch, I, 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 I couldn't get the words out. My wife was like, Kyle, you're going to talk? I'm like, I can't. I can't get the words out. This is the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. And I got you to understand that talking about sex and pornography and friends and all those tough conversations, they're incredibly hard, even for a radical, crazy white guy like me. But I got to have the talk. I want to be the first to feed the communication I got that out, but listen, that wasn't the only talk I've ever had with her in my entire life. That talk, the birds and the bees, it's not a one time when they're 12 or 13. It's a lifetime that you got to keep the dialogue open. Come on, as you spend time riding in the car. Listen, when you ride in the car, turn off the radio. Turn off the greatest showman album, right? Come on, spend, spend time together and ask hard questions. Pry into their lives. Get down deep. Why? Because there's going to get a point where you're going to have to kick them out of the house, and they're going to go... And and hopefully through faith, through faith and not fear, what you train them in, what you called out talent, and what you spend time with, right? They're going to go out, and they're going to be a mini you, a reflection of Christ to the world, and they're going to go do more than you've ever done. And that's the goal of my life, that my kids and my grandkids do way out what I've ever done. I don't want to hold them back by a minute. I want to kick them out and say, go change the world. But in 18 years, I did everything I could to stand in front of them and beside them and next to them. And this is the way, this is the way me and my wife parent, and I close with this. We have taken on the concept. We heard this from another speaker. He said, you have to prepare the kid for the path, not the path for the kid. That I can't go and take away every cuss word or pornography image. I can't go away and take every bad person or unhealthy relationship that she's going to walk into. But what I can do is prepare her to walk through those things and not be burnt. To walk through those things and not be moved or shaken. We prepare for the kid for the path, not the path for the kid. And so does with you and me. As we stand in front of, as we get next to, as we give that time, we send the kids out on the path that God has led them to walk in their God-given potential.